going to be in Colossians 3, and what I want to do is I want to talk about three kind of theological terms, and they might sound scary at first when I kind of utter them, but I want to do, or I'm going to try to do a good job at explaining, because they're very simple. Now, let me set it up by saying this. Two of these things happen right when you get saved. Like, when you first believe in Jesus, two of these things are going to happen instantaneously. And then the third one is going to take the rest of your life. And this is why we've entitled this series War, because it's about entering into the battle, entering into the fight, and realizing that if you genuinely want to have a relationship with Jesus, you cannot just coast by. You cannot just coast by. So the first term that we want to talk about is simply justification justification. And and here's all that it means is it's simply a legal term and it basically means we have been found innocent. We have been found innocent. That basically when you come to know Jesus, he looks at you, he looks at your past, he looks at all your mistakes and all the bad things that you wish that you had never done. And he looks at you and he says, because of the blood of my son and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, you are now declared innocent, you are justified, and your slate is wiped clean. Completely wiped clean. That is justification. Now, the second thing that happens is right when you come to know Jesus, there's another thing that happens, and it's called adoption. Now, I love this because when you come to faith and when you first meet Jesus, you are justified, you're declared innocent, and then you're grafted in and you're pulled into a family. You're pulled into a family, an eternal family. And, and this is what I think some people get the picture of. When you get saved, it's kind of like God's kind of checking you out, right? Like he kind of throws an ankle bracelet on you and he's like, I'm going to watch this guy for a little while because if he doesn't act like I need him to, I'm going to kick him out of the family. You know what I mean? It's not like that. When you come to know Jesus, when salvation kicks in, it's instant. It's instant. You get justified. Jesus declares you uh, uh, innocent. And all of a sudden, he adopts you and he brings you into the family. Now, here's the problem that many of us have because when we think of family... Uh, we, some of us in here do not have a good view of family. Or when we think of God as a loving father, we do not have a good view of a father because we did not have a good father. Right? So when we kind of try to frame it up, it, it doesn't work. We're going, man, I, yeah, I want to be a part of a family, but if God and, and, and the church family is anything like my family, I want to get out of here. Right? But, but I want you to know that God says things like, hey, Come to me, all who are weary. God comes in and he says, listen, you're a part of my family and and I'm long-suffering. I'm patient with you. He says things like, ask me again. What do you need? If I say things like, ask me again in my home, if I'm like, son, you ask me again, I'm about to beat you, right? But when God, God said, ask me again, what, what do you need? Surrender your cares and your burdens and your worries. You become a part of a family. Now, even if you had an awesome father, and maybe you don't fall into the framework of you're like, dude, look, I had a great family. I had uh, um, an awesome dad, and so I kind of understand this whole thing. I understand how this works. But then something happened, right? Something happened when you went away and you went to college, or maybe you didn't go to college. Maybe you got out of high school, and you started your own family, and you got out of the house, and you kind of had like this, huh, moment, Mom and dad are not perfect. And, and what happens? As you get older, you start to see all their flaws, right? 
You start to see all the things, and, and then you start getting, you try to act really smart. Like, well, if I was, you know, if I would have raised me when I was growing up, then I would have never said this, and I would have never done this, and I would have never spanked my kids five times. I would have spanked them four times. And you go through this whole thing, right? So even if you had a great dad, you begin to look at it when you get out, and you go, man, things weren't necessarily perfect. But I want you to know this is not how God operates, So the framework of family that you have in your mind, we've got to be able to scrap it because the kingdom of God is completely different. If God has saved you, if you've come face to face with Jesus and you've put your faith and your trust and your hope in him, then you've been justified, you've been declared innocent, and you have been adopted into a family forever. Forever. Now, although that all happened in an instant, I know some of you, it didn't maybe... It happened in an instant, but it took you a long time to get to that instant, right? So maybe for some of you, you're sitting in this, maybe you're here right now, I don't know. Maybe you came in the doors of the church and you've been here for 10 months and you're still kind of on the fence. You're like, I don't know if I want to do this. It's kind of weird. Like they lift their hands and worship and they're about to go crazy on me. And, and you're still trying to figure this whole thing out, right? You're trying to figure out like, do I really want this Jesus thing? Is this really what I need? Is this really what I'm longing for? And so you've got some questions. And let me, let me say this, God is not concerned by your questions. He's not scared by your questions. Uh, I'm naturally a person who asks a lot of questions. And, and my son, my oldest son, tops me. That boy can ask more questions than any of you in here combined. But God's not concerned by those things. He, he's not concerned by your doubts. He, he's not concerned by your questions. He's not concerned by your concerns. And, and so I realize some of you came in here and you're checking it out for the first time. And you're kind of going, I don't know about this. Zach's not in the suit. Why is he not in the suit? And so you're trying to figure this whole thing out. But, but I promise you this. When you come to know Jesus for the first time, it all happens in an instant. Your life is completely flipped upside down. You're justified and you're adopted into a family. Now, now here's the catch. Although you were made blameless, although you were declared innocent, you're not sinless, right? So now you have, your world's been turned upside down, you've come face to face with Jesus, and then a few weeks go by, and you're like, man, this is great, you're on this mountaintop, you're on this high, and then all of a sudden, you come face to face with your ugly, sinful self, right? Like, why am I doing this again? Well, I thought I just gave my life to Jesus, and I still have the same pulls to do what I used to do. Why, why am I doing this? But here's the truth. God is after much more than your morality and your good behavior. He actually wants to transform your life and your heart. And so there's this next process that's going to happen. And it's going to happen for the rest of your life until you die. And it's called sanctification. Sanctification is not like justification, and it's not like adoption. It does not happen instantaneously. From the moment that you get saved all the way till you come face to face with Jesus, you're going to be made more and more like Jesus. In simple terms, this is what sanctification is. Every day you should look more like Jesus. Every single day you should look a little bit more like Jesus. Because God is so gracious to us, if we got saved and we got justified and adopted and we had to be sanctified in an instant, it would be such a weight on us that we couldn't handle it all. So he says, you know what, you've screwed up a lot of things in your life. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the rest of your life to look a little bit more like me. He doesn't drop it all on us at one time. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit at work in you for the rest of your life. My dad has a phrase, he says it all the time. He says, if I'm not dead, I'm not done. If I'm not dead, I'm not done. So, so the truth is, maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, but you've still got a lot to learn. And you still have a lot that Jesus still wants to do in your heart. And this is the process of sanctification. So, so the question is, how? How does sanctification take place? If you have your Bibles, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So let me just pause right there. I want you to understand that justification, adoption, and sanctification is only for those that believe in Jesus. If anything that you have outside of Jesus, like just good morality or a good person, on it, let's just be real with each other. It's miserable, right? It's miserable. You just trying to be a good person. You trying to will enough power to do better. It doesn't work. It gets exhausting. So we need Jesus for this to work. And here's the question that you have to come face to face with. And most people that are hanging on the fence, and the reason that some people have not surrendered and submitted their lives to Jesus is because they know when they do that they're going to have to give up stuff. They know that certain relationships and certain friends that they had, they can't hang out with those people anymore. And they can't go out and do the things that they used to do. But can I tell you this? Don't look at Christianity as all these rules and regulations. Like, man, once I give my life to Jesus, this is not fun anymore. It's so wrong. Here's the truth. When you give your life to Jesus, it's a whole lot more fun than the misery that you were finding outside of it. But, but let, me, let me say it like this. When you give your life to Jesus and God begins to do things in you, you don't look at the rest of the world through the lenses of like, man, I can't have fun anymore. Now you look at the world and say, you know what? I have no desire to do that because I know when I do that, that brings me despair and depression and hopelessness. And it brings me back to the place where my marriage used to be and the way that I used to treat my wife and the way that I used to treat my kids and all those things. That's what you remember. And that's what you run away from. So sanctification, justification, adoption, all these things are for those who believe in Jesus. So if you do not believe in Jesus this morning, this is an invitation for you to know him. For you to know him. So let's keep reading Colossians 3, starting at 1 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's, he talks about in the very beginning, he talks about adoption, and he talks about justification. But then what happened? Because he, he says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The thing that I love about this verse is that when you die to yourself, that old person that you used to be, and God begins to transform your life, and you become a completely different person, now when God looks down upon you, he sees his perfect, spotless, sinless son, and not you. Man, if, if some of us could just get that, like when you're struggling in the deepest, darkest moments, if you know Jesus and that process of sanctification is going on, he doesn't see your filth, he sees his son. Let's keep reading Colossians 4. 3, verses 4 through 10. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, so listen, you surrender your life to Jesus and you submit yourself to this process of becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. The reward is one day you get to spend eternity with Jesus. Like all of your pain and all of your worries and all of your anxiety and all of your questions one day make sense. And the only day that they make sense is when you are with Jesus for eternity. Now, I want you to notice something. The text is about to take a radical shift here. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he's about to talk about sanctification. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put to death the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So so here's what you see in this text. You're going to see a blueprint of basically how sanctification works works because here's the deal christ wants to transform us to a point where we are visibly holy so when the world looks at you they see something different so here's what i love i've seen it over and over in the past few months as people walk in these doors and they become they start to shake hands with people and they're like i don't know what it is but they're just different are they on crack no, no, they love Jesus. Here's the thing. When people look at you, is your life visibly different? Or do you just talk a bunch of talk? Can people look at you and say, man, I, I don't know what it is. I can't necessarily put my finger on it, but this guy's going through the worst time and it feels like he's anchored in something. Well, I mean, it's not himself. This, this guy's gone through a difficult time. There's just the joy and a peace about him. What is going on? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And in this text, you're going to see throughout um, the very beginning, he says, set your mind on things above. Now, this is impossible to stray away from sexual immorality, lust, evil passions, desires, unless we set our mind on things above. Now, how do we set our mind on things above? We've got to be with Jesus. We've got to spend time with Jesus. So some of my favorite writers um, over the past few years have been some of the Puritans. And uh, the Puritans were famous for coining these kind of just different big theological words. If you go and you read any of the Puritans' books, like I can barely read them because I barely even know what they're talking about. They're using these huge words, and it's written in Old English. And just for me to get through one chapter takes me like a month. It's, it's difficult to read. Um, but they were so good at teaching. And so they coined these different terms. And there's two ways that sanctification works, Okay. And the first one is this, vivification. And all it simply means is a pursuit of the Lord. So if this sanctification process is going to work in us, then guess what? We have to spend time with Jesus. You do not look more and more like Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus. 
So, so remember what we talked about the very first week, that it is genuinely a fight to know Jesus. We can't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, I think I want to be closer to God today. No, it, it's a fight like, man, I want to give in to this. I want to do this. It's a fight with that flesh. I'm saying, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to carve some time out of my day and I'm going to spend time with Jesus. So the first part of sanctification is the first few verses in Colossians 3 when he says, set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. Then it clarifies even more. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. Yet again, this is impossible unless we spend time with Jesus. So if you want to grow in visible holiness, when people look at you and there's something different about you, you have to fight to know Jesus. Like if you're miserable in your Christianity and in your relationship with Jesus right now, chances are you're probably not carving out time every single day to spend time with Jesus. Let me tell you the number one reason that marriages don't work. They just don't talk. They don't spend time with each other. They don't talk about intimate, deep things. They don't work. Why? Because you begin to grow apart because now you don't really know each other. It's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. If you're not communicating with him and he's not communicating back, you grow apart. Growing in sanctification is a shift in our mindset. It's a shift in our thinking. Now, how does that happen? Romans 12, 2, it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's the amazing thing. When you spend time with Jesus and you begin to come face to face with Jesus and you know Jesus, now you know what Jesus wants. You ever hear people like, man, I just, I can't make a decision. I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Uh, I sat with a guy uh, for many years, and it seemed like meeting after meeting after counseling after counseling, it was like, dude, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know what the will of God for my life is. And the same reply that I had over and over and over and over again was, are you spending time with Jesus? Well, no, not really. Then how are you going to hear from him? How are you going to know what Jesus wants for your future and your destiny and your family and your marriage if you don't spend time with him? If you're not communicating to him, then how do we know him? Like some of you are lost and confused and going like, why am I struggling with this? Why am I dealing with this? Why do I feel this pain or this hopelessness or this distress? And we ask the questions, but we're not diligent enough to spend time with Jesus. Here's the thing. Sanctification cannot simply just be, our growing in our sanctification cannot simply just be memorizing scripture verses. It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you memorize portions of the Bible. Those are things that are important. But if you also remember, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for memorizing portions of the Bible and they thought that that was enough. Ultimately, to grow in visible holiness, it's not about just memorizing scripture. It's about adamantly being consistent with renewing our minds. And do you ever wake up in the morning and like you just got out of bed and there's just some garbage in your head? And you're like, how did that get there? 
like I've had the most intimate times with Jesus, like praying, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did that, I'm like spending time with Jesus, and then this crazy thought comes in my head. How does that happen? We live in a fallen, sinful world, and if we're not diligent about spending time with Jesus, then we're not renewing our minds, and there's just junk getting in. Let me give you an example. And I'll be honest with you, I stole this example, so it's not mine. So if you think it's great, I don't want to credit myself for it, okay? Um, but I'm just going to apply it in my context. So a few months ago, or actually about a month ago, Claire and I moved from Jennings to Crowley, okay? And um, your brain, whether you realize it or not, is programmed a certain way to get home. Does anybody have like, it doesn't even matter if you take one single road and it might be quicker, but you've kind of carved out this little path to get to your house and that's the way that you like to go. And, and so your brain, every time you get in the car and you clock out, you get off of work and you drive to your house, you have this set path that you take. Well, when we moved to Crowley, like my path was destroyed, right? Like my little set route, it, it was over. It was like, man, I don't have that program route. So I, I did this a few times. I would get out of a coffee shop from a meeting or come home, get from the office. And I would get in my car and I literally, in my brain, I was thinking I need to go to 607 Harrington Street in Jennings, Louisiana. I need to drive there. And there was a few times I would get in my car and head down that street and then realize, oh, I, I don't live here anymore. I don't live here anymore, and I'd have to turn back around and go, okay, I, I don't live in Jennings, I live in Crowley. This is exactly how sanctification works. Here, here's the deal. Renewing your mind does this. When you spend time with Jesus, when you pull up to the driveway of old sinful desires and temptations and lust, you pull into the driveway, and when you're about to give in, instantly in your mind you remember, hold on, I don't live here anymore. And so you back out of the driveway and you head to your new home. So so, so here's the deal. It's a constant reminder. It's not like it's just going to snap and go, okay, I met Jesus and now I just don't want to do any of this stuff anymore. You're going to have times where you pull up into the driveway of sin and you pull up into the driveway of temptation and you have to consciously make the decision to say, I don't do this anymore. And then you realize, man, Death is that way. Sin is that way. Destruction is that way. Hopelessness is that way. And you back out of the driveway, and instead of taking a left, now you take a right. And it's reprogramming your brain, allowing God to do work on your heart and in your mind to realize, hey, you no longer live here anymore. I have to constantly remind myself, I don't live in Jennings. I live in Crowley. And when you come to know Jesus, it's the same reminder. Man, I don't live in sin. I don't live in darkness. I don't live in death anymore. I have a new home. I have a new family. I have a new father. And it's Jesus. You see how this works? The renewing of our mind is extremely important. And this is why the Bible is extremely important. The the Bible is unbelievably important for you and I. Some of us, the reason that we have a hard time hearing from Jesus and we're waiting on all these new revelations and God to speak to us, and there's a book that he wrote with his words in it. It's already there. 
And all you got to do is read it. And here's the thing. If you could read the Bible and use it and use your imagination as you read, and I'm not saying that you make up things in the text, but putting yourself in the story. Imagine it this way. Man, reading the Bible and placing yourself as the character. Maybe you place yourself in, let's just choose a story, the story of the woman who is caught in adultery and dragged out naked into a street with all of her shame and her guilt and all these people circle around her. And they all pick up stones. And if you place yourself in the middle of that, like you're that woman, that shame, that guilt, all those things, your past, all the things that you've done, and then you have a loving father who stoops down and he says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And slowly they drop the stones and then he looks at her in the eyes with snot running down her face. Embarrassment and shame. You imagine being dragged out naked in the middle of a street. And then you have a loving father that comes up to you. He says, I don't condemn you. And then he looks at her and what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. And that's what any good father would do. Not only does he show grace to her, but he corrects her. Lovingly corrects her. See, see, truth without love is not really truth, right? People don't want to hear it. So he speaks the truth to her. He says, look, listen, if, if you probably do this stuff, it's probably going to get you in some trouble. But he graciously bends down. He stoops down and he wipes the dust off of her knees. And he, I would just imagine Jesus covering her. And as a father, he just lovingly corrects her. And he says, listen, if you stay on this path, it's going to destroy your life. But you know what? I don't condemn you. And go and sin no more. You see, when we read the Bible, this is the renewing of our mind. We realize that when we fall short, that when we sin, that there is a Savior. Here's the problem with sin. When you give into it, there's the temptation that we buy into of like, I've already given in. So what's the point of even trying anymore? I've already sinned. I've already screwed it up. So why not just continue to screw it up? But see, when you read the Bible like that and you see the way that Jesus treats these sinners, you realize, hold on, you know what? Maybe the same grace that he had on this woman he'll have on me. Maybe the same compassion that he had towards her he'll have on me. This is vivification. This is the pursuit of Jesus. The second part of growing in visible holiness and growing in sanctification is another word that the uh, Puritans coined, and it's mortification. See, while you grow in the knowledge of the Lord and you renew your mind, here's the next idea, that you put sin to death. You put sin to death. Listen, you don't teach sin to do tricks. You don't try to tame it. You don't try to put it in a little corner and be like, okay, I'm just going to ignore this and hopefully it won't come back and haunt me. No, we seek to put sin to death. And this may sound brutal, but this is the only example that I can think of right now. It's like taking whatever sin you have, dragging it out in the street and putting a bullet in it and making sure it's done. Because if you don't, it's coming back to get you. It's coming back to get you. Listen, you're no match for sin, and that's why we need Jesus, and that's why we need this process of sanctification and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place where we're uncomfortable with some things. Man, I, 
don't know, God. I don't know if I can give up these relationships. I don't know, God. I don't know if I can do this. But if you don't put sin to death, it will overtake you. It will overcome you every time. So what things are we, we putting to death? Well, Colossians says this. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying. So, so here's the deal. To go back to my illustration earlier, when you pull up into the old driveway and you feel a pull towards sin, in that moment we seek to put it to death. In that moment, we go, okay, we remind ourselves, we're renewing our mind, okay, I don't live here anymore. And then you seek to go, I need to do whatever it takes to put this to death. You don't take the left anymore, you take the right. We don't live in death and destruction anymore. We have a new home, we have a new father. There's a reminder that occurs, I don't live here anymore. Now, here's the truth. There is going to come a season as you allow the sanctification process to take place, where it's not going to be this knockout, drag-out battle of you fighting sin, like, I can't do this anymore. You will come to a place where it'll get easier and easier and easier. But I also want to prepare you, there will come times when you just absolutely blow it. When you absolutely blow it. And so what do you do? You go back to vivification and you go back to mortification. What do I mean? You go back to pursuing Jesus and you go back to how do I put this to death? Go back to pursuing Jesus and you go back to how do I put this to death? Here's what you don't do. You run away. I'm going to clean myself up because God doesn't accept me right now. He doesn't love me right now. I'm dirty. I've got some shame. I've got some guilt. So I'm going to run this direction and try to figure it out on my own. That's what we don't do. No, we come to the Father and say, I messed up. You know one of the greatest things that you can do sometimes, and it's not even that spiritual. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I screwed up. Help. Let's start there. Now, some of you in here are going, okay, Pastor Zach, it's great. You know, I, I feel I got saved, justified, I was adopted, grafted into the family, but I feel like this whole process of sanctification has come to a grinding halt. Like, I got saved, and I was on this mountain, and then all of a sudden it feels like I just dropped off the cliff, and I feel like I'm not even saved anymore. What do I do? There's two hurdles to sanctification. Number one, the first hurdle is what I'll call mowing over sin. Mowing over sin. And this most commonly reveals itself in relational conflict. So, so I'm about to talk about marriage, and you're about to get real uncomfortable. So if I say something, don't bump your spouse, okay? You're like, you need to listen to that, you know? <laughs> if you're in there bumping them, you're probably the one that needs to hear it. So just bump yourself. So, so here's the deal. God is always at work in the pain points, often not to reveal something about somebody else, but to reveal something about you. To reveal something about you. So, so here's what I mean. Do you ever see that couple that just has a new set of friends like every year? 
They just have a new set of friends every year, and you ask them, like, man, dude, I thought you guys were close with so-and-so, and their response is like, yeah, man, they just, I don't know, they just, they couldn't figure it out, and they were, they were just a bad friend. They stabbed me in the back, and they get a whole new set of friends, and, like, the response is the same over and over and over. Yeah, man, I went to that church, but, you know, they just, they couldn't figure it out, and they've been to, like, 20 churches. I think at that point, it's probably not the church. It's probably you. I think at that point, it's probably not the friends. It's probably you. And this is what's probably happening. Instead of hitting conflict face-to-face and dealing with it, you just mow over it. I don't want to deal with it, so I'll just leave. I don't want to deal with the marriage, so I'm just going to leave. I don't want to deal with the conflict in my relationships with my friends, so I'm just going to leave. I like this job, but I don't like this person, so instead of dealing with it, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to quit. See, a hurdle to sanctification, the reason that some of us have come to a grinding halt is instead of dealing with sin head on, we just mow over it and act like it's not there. You know like the thing in marriage? Like when you're like, maybe if I don't talk to her, she'll just like get over it. (laughs) No, she won't. She's just going to boil and then one day blow a lid on you. (laughs) You can't mow over things. See, sanctification comes to a grinding halt when you choose to mow over sin. You know what? Maybe if I just don't confront it, it'll go away. No, it won't. It's just going to get bigger and bigger, and you're going to get more bitter and more bitter and more bitter and more bitter to the point that it gets to the point where you're like, I don't even know what to do anymore. Don't mow over sin. Another example. How many of you guys, just show of hands real quick, how many of you guys are single in here? You're not married. Okay, we've got a few. We've got a few. When I was single, um, I honestly didn't think I was selfish. Like, and you don't meet many single people that are like, yeah, man, I'm just like so selfish. You don't meet people that just say that. And then what happens? When I got married, I was like, oh, my God, I am so selfish. <laughs> I am just so, like my wife just slaved over dinner, and there's all these dishes, and I think she should probably do those too. <laughs> You just, what does relationships do? It brings out who you are. You can't hide in community. You can't hide in relationships. So instead of hiding, we mow over it. Hoping for it to go away. Hoping for it to blow over. Hoping that it doesn't cause destruction. But here's the deal. The fire of community reveals who you really are. The fire of community reveals who you really are. You, you know what the thing is? Those, those, that friends that I was talking about that maybe you walked away from and you blamed it all on them, you probably need those friends. And maybe they didn't handle it in the right way. Maybe they didn't say it the right way. Maybe they didn't deal with the conflict in the right way. But they are revealing something about your heart. So maybe right now you're in a marriage and you're going, I, I don't know how this is going to work. You, you need that marriage. Because you know why? It's not her fault and it's not his fault. It's your fault. It's not you going, okay, for this marriage to work, she needs to change all these things. No, you've got to go before God and say, God, what, what is broken in me? What selfishness things am I not letting go of? What am I working on? What am I dealing with? So here's the deal. Are, are you prone to depression? 
Are, are you prone to quit? Are you prone to run when things get hard? Get around people. Get around people. Get around community. And allow the Holy Spirit to use people. You guys know the whole verse in the Bible. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I started thinking about it like this. Sharpening iron is not like this delicate process, right? I mean, there's a fire involved, there's a hammer involved, there's a chisel involved, there's sparks that are flying. It is a violent process. And oftentimes, it's exactly what relationships are like. Man, there's going to be some sparks, there's going to be some conflict, there's, you throw in people in the mix, and you just, stuff happens, but it reveals what's really in your heart. Isn't it true that the symptoms reveal the disease? So man, if you're always running away, if you're always walking away, if you're always ending the relationship, chances are you need Jesus to allow the process of sanctification to begin to take place in your heart. And the reason that it's not working is because we're just mowing over sin. We're ignoring it. We just stay quiet. We think it's not a big deal. Sanctification is ultimately God saying, you know what, son or daughter, I have so much more for you than you could ever attain on your own. Life is so much better with me than you trying to figure it all out. The second hurdle to sanctification is this, which I think is, if you've grown up in church, this is our favorite. The second hurdle is just simply, just cover it up. Do what Adam and Eve did. Put the fig leaves on. Don't tell anybody. Like, you know, the whole conversation that you had right before you came into church? Like, babe, I swear to God, if you tell Pastor Zach about anything we're dealing, I will kill you. Like, I will kill you. What do, what do we want to do? We, we cover up, right? And so, and some of us don't mow over it. Some of us just cover it up. What are you talking about? No, I didn't do that. No, no, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. There's a pull in church life to adopt language and a posture that is not realities in our heart. So what do we do? We, we come in here and we're trying to figure this whole relationship with Jesus out. And so we see some people and, and you, they, they, you ask them the question, how are you doing? Oh, bless you. How are favor, brother? And then for no apparent reason, like you start saying the same thing and you don't know why. <laughs> how are you doing, brother? Bless you. And you're saying it and you're like, what does that even mean? But you're just saying it because everybody else is saying it. And you adopt something which you, it's not even a reality in your heart whatsoever. As I said earlier, the best thing that you can do instead of trying to cover up is do this. Um, why are we doing that? Um, I don't understand what's going on here. I you said something and I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Listen, if you just met Jesus, we don't expect you to know everything that you need to know. And it's not a flex of knowledge, like who knows the most amount of information about the Bible and Jesus. We just want you to have a relationship with him. It's not about how much you know, it's how willing are you to submit to the process and just do and allow Jesus to do whatever he wants to do in your life. 
Now, I always use this example like when you have kids, if you have kids, you understand this. I mean, when your kids are one years old, they don't just like one day come up to you and they're like, Dad, like I figured out the Pythagorean theorem. Like I know it. Like I know like how to get pot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you're like, oh my God, he is a genius. Every kid has to learn. Every kid needs a teacher. And so don't feel like, man, I'm stupid because I don't know something. If you've come in here and you just know you've had a relationship with Jesus for the first time, it's okay to not know anything. You're not supposed to know anything. So what do we do? We ask. That's why we, that's why we have next step. We're going to wrap up our, our last a class right after this service, and we have so many people that have been signing up for it. Um, we're going to take a break in August. And we're going to kick it back off in September. So just ask the question: What do I do instead of covering it up? I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. But somehow, I think some of us in here genuinely believe. What brings God the most glory is for us to look and appear strong. So we don't allow the process of sanctification to happen because we believe that we have to appear strong, we have to have everything together before everyone else. So there's this tendency to cover things up. But the redeeming work of Jesus doesn't make you superhuman, it actually makes you human. We did a sermon about... uh, maybe two months ago, called Weakness is the Way. See, the gospel says this. When you are weak and you don't know the answers, then God can be strong. Not when you are strong and you've got it all figured out, does God step in and go, all right, man, you just got it all taken care of. You don't need me. No, when you're weak, God is strong. So some of us in here, man, we're doing what we talked about last week. We're putting the fig leaves on. We're covering up. I don't know. I don't have an issue. I'm good. I know Jesus. I prayed the prayer like five years ago. Can can I tell you, there is no prayer that's going to get you into heaven. You can pray all the prayers you want. It's not going to save you. A relationship with Jesus. There is no rudimentary routine that you can say, okay, I get up in the morning, I pray, I do my little thing, and then I, no, and I'm, I'm set for life, I'm good. It's a constant, violent fight to put sin to death. And a constant renewal of the mind every single day to go, God, man, I don't live here anymore. Death and destruction is this way. I have a new home. I have a new father. I have a new family. And that's where I want to land. And that's where I want to be. It's a fight to remember that, isn't it? It's a constant war. It's a constant fight. My prayer for us this morning is this. Is that we would be a people that would be so honest with ourselves and each other. That we get over the hurdle of mowing over and covering up. And may we rest gladly in the grace of God that moves us toward a tangible and visible holiness. Where even you can look at your life and go, oh my, how did I get here? Like, man, this is awesome. Like, God brought me here. It is not because of your own efforts. You're not where you are in your relationship with Jesus because of your own efforts.
And what I mean by that, if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you think that you've got to walk out of here and get some things in order first and then you can meet him, that's not how this works. It's not how this works. Like if you're in here and you're carrying heavy burdens and you're carrying some stuff, this is how it works. God, today I want to make a decision to follow you for the rest of my life. I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you no matter what you're dealing with right now. And then we walk out of here, and what do we do? We do everything that we possibly can. I encourage you to get involved in one of our next step classes. Get involved in community. Serve on a team in any one of the teams that operate uh, this church that makes it happen on Sunday. Get to know people. And the whole reason you that we have coffee and donuts out there is not just to have coffee and donuts. It's to create an element for you to just get to know people, conversate with people. Show up a little bit earlier. Get to know some of the people that are here. Like, let this be. We say this all the time. There's a massive sign that we have. It says, welcome home. Welcome home. So I want to do two things. I want to pray this morning. Just every head bowed, every eye closed. The only reason I ask you to do that, because I know that some people, this is a big decision, but sometimes it's the timidness the embarrassment of having to raise a hand or whatever. So eliminating all of that, if you're in here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Zach, listen, I am that person. I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I just, I don't know him. If you're in here this morning and you want to surrender and commit your life to Jesus, would you just simply raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you're also in here this morning and you say, listen, man, I know I've been justified. I know I've been declared innocent. I know I've been adopted into a family. I'm just, man, I'm running into some hurdles. I feel like I hit a roadblock. Like the sanctification process for me is just going really slow. If that's you in here this morning, will you just slip your hand like, God, I need, I need something fresh. Okay. Great. Great. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, for all these people that are going to make a decision to follow you for the first time. God, I pray that they would truly walk out of here different. God, I pray that you would invade their hearts. God, that you would answer their questions. God, that they would submit their doubts and their fears and their concerns and their questions to you. God, that they would submit their past, their guilt and their shame. God, I pray that you would wash them and make them completely new. God, I pray for those that are struggling, God, that are hitting those roadblocks and becoming closer to you. Maybe they're mowing over sin. Maybe they're just covering it up. Or God, maybe they're not even spending time with you. God, I pray that we walk out of here changed, different. God, with a desire to want to know you more. Jesus' name. Amen.